The rational brain isn't in control. The rational brain is this relatively new thing that was added on. And most of the decision making, in fact, all decision making is made by what I call the primal brain. This is the part that doesn't have access to language, that works tirelessly in the background and is massively processing huge quantities of information and when necessary, acting on some of that. Well, let's just put it this way. If you have a brain, you like the book. Welcome to season five of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Now Marketing Group and Xstand. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. It's important to keep up on the latest trends and topics, and this is just the spot. Two guarantees, you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 93 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I am Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing, and this podcast is made possible by Powers of Marketing. We provide strategic content creation, podcast hosting and producing, event hosting and producing, all that good stuff. And my guest today is the amazing Tim Ash. Welcome, Tim. (laughs) Hi, Megan. Great to be with you. I am so happy that we're finally making this happen. I know that I surprised you by scheduling us pretty far out. <laughs> and we had the chance to have lunch back in June. Thanks again for that. And got a copy of your book, which is amazing. And a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. You see how I have tabbies and stuff? I totally, I'm in it. I'm in it. We are going to be talking about marketing in a way that relates to things in the book. But I think that anyone... Truly anyone, any human will find this really interesting on all fronts, um, whether they're a marketer or not. So, Well, let's just put it this way. If you have a brain, you'll like the book. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's I have so, I have so many puns and unintended things I could say. So um, welcome, Jen Cole. Thanks for being here with us. She is my, my co-host on every other show. Okay, I'm going to read Tim's bio. Tim Ash is an acknowledged authority on evolutionary psychology and digital marketing. He's a sought-after international keynote speaker and the best-selling author of Unleash Your Primal Brain and Landing Page Optimization. (laughs) Tim has been mentioned by Forbes as a top 10 online marketing expert and by Entrepreneur Magazine as an online marketing influencer to watch. For 19 years, he was the co-founder and CEO of SiteTuners, a digital optimization agency. Tim helped to create over $1.2 billion in value for companies like Google, Expedia, eHarmony, Facebook, American Express, Canon, Nestle, Symantec, Intuit, Humana, Siemens, and Cisco. Well, (laughs) how about that? Very cool. Okay, so I want to just start, let's just dig in with on the book, understanding the brain can get to the heart of why people do things, obviously. So what made you decide to write a book on the primal brain? Well, it was it's kind of coming full circle. Uh, I attended UC San Diego and my undergraduate work was in cognitive science and computer engineering. And then I stayed there to work in what's now called artificial intelligence or neural networks. And it was very indis- interdisciplinary brew there. I had a linguist, an economist, a computer scientist on my PhD committee. Never finished, by the way. I'm a quitter. After seven years, I just started my first company. But it was always this interest in the brain, how we think, how people make decisions. And of course, I applied that to marketing 
for many, many years running my conversion rate optimization agency, SiteTuners. And now I feel like I've come full circle back to just explaining how the brain works. That's always been my first love and something I love to talk about. And I think, unfortunately, it hasn't been really done well. There's the behavioral economists, there's the medical imaging people, there's the linguists and the archaeologists, but nobody's kind of put this unified view of it together that's understandable to regular people. So that was my attempt at writing the book. I love that. Yeah. And there's call outs throughout the entire book. That's not just a requote from something else that it was already said. It's a, a literally nice nugget. And I, I really appreciated that too, especially as I hadn't finished it yet and went to scanning <laughs> on the <laughs> chapters that I hadn't gotten to yet. But also, yeah, and I found one in particular. I have a friend who always says, I have the worst memory. And she thinks she's, you know, she just feels so bad about it. And I, I found a, a quote or two in there to make her feel better. I took a picture of it and texted it to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those call-outs are pretty handy in the audiobook version. I'll do my normal speaking voice, and then I'll kind of lower my voice and go, this is a really important point. And that's how you know it's one of the call-outs from the book, you know, but maybe people <laughs> think I just had an uneven recording volume or something. Ah, that's <laughs> funny. Ah, that's awesome. All right. So let's just get dig into what you define as as the primal brain. Yeah, well, there's a, a longstanding bias in Western thought going back to the ancient Greeks, maybe before, about what makes us unique and distinctly human. And, and the idea is that that's a rational brain, the one that makes plans, makes decisions, and has access to language. Well, it turns out that that's actually completely backwards. In other words, the rational brain isn't in control. The rational brain is this relatively new thing that was added on. And most of the decision-making, in fact, all decision-making is made by what I call the primal brain. This is the part that doesn't have access to language, that works tirelessly in the background, and is massively processing huge quantities of information, and when necessary, acting on some of that. And the way it prioritizes that decision-making is based either on automatic reactions or strong emotions. If something felt good before, I'm going to do more of it. If something hurt or felt bad, then I'm going to try to avoid it or run away from it. That's the basic operating system of the brain. And that's the part, and I mean this literally, that's the part that's in charge. You can't make a decision without an emotional component. And we don't have access to that. In other words, we kind of rationalize decisions after the fact, but the decision was made by our primal brain before we had access to language or describing it. So as uh, Robert Heinlein, the famous science fiction author, once said, man is not a rational animal, man is a rationalizing animal. Aha. Okay. So we can't do anything about it, but we're just trying to understand what, what parts, what, what, what things we don't have control over. Yeah, and, and which is pretty much all of it. I mean, you know, there's uh, in marketing, of course, we learn to, well, let me put it bluntly, manipulate people. The temperature in the room, the amount of light, the music playing in the background, all of these are well-established things that will change how we buy in a retail setting. Casinos have this down to an art. They don't even show you whether it's daylight outside or not. Okay. And, and they pump extra oxygen in to make you alert and they'll give you free drinks. So you keep gambling and lose your whatever is left of your rational mind. So this has all been studied and understood. And, but we still kind of labor under this delusion that we're somehow in charge and can always make quote unquote logical decisions. Yeah. The funny one, it's funny just in terms of all that people always complain about Costco 
about how they're always moving stuff around. And I said, yeah, mm-hmm. that's because they don't want you to just go in and grab the thing that you wanted. They want you to spend a hundred more dollars by buying other things that you see as you're trying to find what it was you went Right, by. and that also creates some novelty and that makes you pay attention. If it was the same old, you tune it out and you do things on autopilot, but this kind of attention seeking and looking for rewards in the environment, what's gonna help you survive. If you move things around once in a while, that actually makes us pay attention. Right. No, for sure. I mean, imagine like you're driving to work and all of a sudden there's a detour. You're not no longer thinking about what you're going to make for dinner that night. You're thinking about how to get to work and (laughs) on time. Right. Well, yeah, because we've all gotten to somewhere we were going without even remembering how we got there, right? Like because we're on autopilot, we don't remember the ride. Exactly right. And and there's a and what gets remembered is is really important in how memory works. So maybe if you'd like, we can talk a little more about that. Sure. Go for it. Well, so I think that have you ever seen Black Mirror? It's this kind of dystopian uh, science fiction series. I think it's on Netflix. And it one of the episodes has uh, essentially a life rewind, the idea that, oh, every memory you've ever had, every life experience can be just rewound and we can replay it. And that's, pardon me, total BS. There's no such thing. Sorry to disappoint all of the science fiction fans, but our brain is already a very energy intensive, hungry system. And we've had to make trade-offs like weaker muscles and weaker digestive system just to power our extra big brain. But there's no way we could store or process or recall all of our memories. So the first thing we have to understand is, is all this stuff impinging on us, the vast majority of it is ignored. It's not even not only remembered, it's just not paid attention to at all. And if it is paid attention to, then we'll remember it if it's got a really, really strong emotional component, if it's a multi-sensory thing going on and and it's novel and it has strong emotions associated with it, then we might remember it. But to really consolidate memories, we have to sleep on it. And that's where they're merged with past memories we have and kind of a creates an updated model of our world. But then even after we sleep on it, over time, memories decay and they become inaccurate. So there's no such thing as an accurate memory. There's no such thing as a complete or quote-unquote photographic memory either. The purpose of memory isn't to be accurate. It's to help our brain survive. So the thing of memory is something that jumped out at me in terms of events, being an event professional as a marketer who works within events. um, I really appreciated the chapter on how we learn and remember. This call out made me instantly think of events, combine emotion, novelty, and multisensory experience to form stronger memories. And then you said sometimes even peak experiences become routine through repeated exposure. So I was like, yeah, like that event that I go to that's the same every time Mm -hmm. is going to be less impactful for me. And I'm going to be less inclined to want to attend said event. So what piece of advice would you give to event marketers and organizers who hold events to make them truly memorable? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, as you know, I keynote speak at large conferences all over the world. And I used to run what's now called Digital Growth Unleashed, or before that was the conversion conference here and in Europe for 10 years. So I've seen it from the event organizer perspective, having been a conference chair. And the keys are, as I I mentioned, strong emotions and multisensory experiences. And I'll I'll just use an analogy. This isn't from the event world, but I'm sure you, well, most people have been on a roller coaster and think about all the stuff that's going on on a roller coaster. Your G-forces are impacting your inner ear. Your lunch is trying to come up regardless of what you ate. People are screaming around you, winds whipping through your hair, or in my case, since I have no hair, winds whipping through my head. (laughs) And uh, all of this stuff is memorable compared to I'm walking down the street. 
I mean, I've done that a thousand times. I'm used to it. There's nothing I have to think about. And that's why I'm thinking about other things as I'm walking under on the street. So anything that's new that calibrates your scales, that's what's going to be remembered. So you have to really go out of your way to surprise people to involve uh, ideally music or lighting or changes in setting, uh, physical movement, getting up. I mean, when you think of, for example, going to an event, most of the time we're probably sitting or we're standing and mingling and networking. Those modes are really obvious, but if all of a sudden some crazy acrobat came into the room and started backflipping through the audience, go, whoa, I've never seen that before. So you really have to go out of your way to create well, we, we call them memorable experiences for a reason. Um, unexpected, surprising, multi-sensory, strongly emotional kind of moments. I love that. Yeah, the smell thing is interesting because I don't think a lot of shows bring that in. And it is definitely another sense that is impactful. And like Jen said, smells. She said every time she feels like every yes. Marriott smells the same. And obviously that's by design, right? Because they want you to associate that with having been there. But obviously there's so much more that plays into it. But yeah, I'll walk into a a banquet room that's just, you know, like going to be a a welcoming party and there's someone hanging from the ceiling ready to pour me some champagne. I'm like, hey, that's I have never seen that before. Exactly. And and smell is is an important sense because it's the only one that doesn't basically bypasses the blood brain barrier, the, the protection that our that our brain uses chemically. And it's wired directly into the brain. And actually we're we're losing our sense of smell quite a bit from an evolutionary standpoint because it's not needed. Primarily, it was needed to know if like food was bad and we're about to poison ourselves by eating it. And since that occurs very rarely these days for a lot of people, uh, we're actually losing smell cells at a rapid rate. (laughs) Smell cells. That's a thing? That's a thing. You have about 5 million of them, but uh, fading ah. fast. <laughs> so okay. your, your cat or your dog, Relatively if you have speaking. A, a pet, you know, if they're out there, they're one of their primaries isn't even vision. It's smell. They'll smell each other's butts and a lot of other things, <laughs> but there's a whole smellscape for them when they're outside. Yeah. They're checking their P-mail as they walk around the neighborhood. <laughs> yep. It's a bad joke, but Uh, I I I like like it. It never never gets old for me. (laughs) All right, cool. So you mentioned sleep in terms of of memory. So I want to talk about sleep for a minute. You mentioned when we got together in June that one of the things you're able to do now that you have your own gig, you're in control of your own schedule for the most part, that you're like a big fan of of, uh, napping. So you know, just the value of sleep. And of course, it's Mm. a part of the book. So why is sleep so crucial to being our best in our professional lives? Well, it's not just in our professional lives. It's our lives. Sleep is daily life support. It's not optional. Once you get past about 16 hours of being awake, I mean, stuff, bad things start to happen. Heart attack risk, accidents, car crashes. I mean, a lot of times people say, well, you know, drunk driving is bad. Well, it turns out literally being sleep deprived is even more dangerous. And if you combine the two, being sleep deprived and drunk, then your chances of a car accident go up by 40x. Uh, So it's just as dangerous at two o'clock in the morning because somebody's been awake since 6 a.m. And that's what's making them make bad decisions and be not alert and a lot of other things. So it's not optional. I mean, uh, dolphins, which are mammals like us, but they swim in the water, they drown if they turn their brain off. So they've actually adapted to have one hemisphere of their brain sleep while the other one's awake and keeping them breathing. (laughs) Long uh, migrating birds actually drop out of the sky, take little micro naps and then wake up in time to start flapping their wings again. But it's not optional for any living thing. So don't shortchange yourself by keeping your cell phone by your bed. Right. Yeah. That's the thing I struggle with. And I think another thing I read, as you said, 
the one hour before you go to sleep will directly affect how you sleep or what is it? Or does it directly yes, yes. affect so what your you're dreaming? Doing is you're, you're kind of, it's kind of tail weighted. It's um, the things that you're processing in the final hour before sleep gets processed about five or six times more than the rest of the day's events combined. So it's really important to have like a coast down routine to, okay, I, I go to sleep, I take a shower or I, I read a book or there's a lot of people that are religious that'll say prayers and include people in their prayers. Essentially, what they're doing is they're recapitulating all the good stuff that happened that day and that they're grateful for. And that's the mindset with which they go into sleep. And all of a sudden, they get a lot of benefit of that. So I love that. Yeah. And so I, I started keeping a gratitude journal um, mm-hmm. about, a, about a year ago. I try to write it in every day. I don't get it every day. But I'm also trying to, to say five things, even if they're minor, that I'm grateful for. So I should probably revisit that like before I go to sleep. Absolutely. That, that's yeah. when I actually write in mine. And I, it's not like I'm writing in sentences. I actually just put bullet points, went on a walk. Cat came up to me while I was walking and said, hello. I said, I love you through the door to my teenage daughter. And she actually said, I love you too back. You know, so it doesn't have to be big things, but recapitulating the good stuff and preloading your brain to process that is really important. So interesting. I love all of this stuff. Totally nerding out. Okay. We (laughs) still have a a reasonable amount of time. Let's, Let's talk about how can we as marketers improve our marketing more by understanding the, the primal brain. Uh, Oh, wait, we have a question. We have a question. Jen, sorry, before that. She says, I wonder if there's any correlation between this and working in your sleep. Yes. Okay. So let's talk about just some of the evolutionary reasons for sleep, because I think this is helpful for marketers to understand. One of the main things is simulation. Okay. So when you get, there's different stages of sleep, but several times a night, if you're sleeping properly, you drop into REM sleep. And there's something really weird happens. Well, for all animals, basically the body is paralyzed. I mean, you have the respiratory stuff and you keep breathing, your heart keeps beating stuff, but the voluntary muscles get paralyzed. So when you have a scary dream, you don't, you know, run off the cliff because the bear's chasing you in real life. You're, you can't move. I mean, there's a lot of people that sleepwalk, but that's only when that paralysis doesn't work. So basically dreams are there in large part to simulate dangerous stuff that happens in real life. That's why a lot of our dreams are nightmares weird stuff happens. And initially, all people, when they're kids, dream about big, scary animals. And then the dreams get more specific. So as an adult, you might be like, well, as a public speaker like me, you might have a dream about being on stage naked in front of the audience or something. So they're they're <laughs> yeah. socially scary, not necessarily physically threatening. But all of that is to basically get the payoff from practicing stuff without having to pay the real world price of it. So dreams are a simulation engine And what you put into that simulation engine depends on that day's events and worries you may have. And that's why I'm saying you can kind of precondition the brain before bed to focus on something. It might be a creative task or a problem you're having that you want to think about. And so whatever you're kind of loading up before sleep is what's going to get processed during sleep. I Dreams is a whole other, like, I always feel like I want to examine why why did I have that dream or whatever? (laughs) Okay. So that's so cool. All right. Right on. So in terms of marketers, understanding the primal brain, give some more tips for us. Sure. Uh, So so there's, these are basic tendencies. So I don't care what your cultural download is, you know, what, what you grew up around. I don't care if you're a man or a woman, an introvert or an extrovert, this does pretty much universal. One thing that marketers often make the mistake of doing is not focusing on pain. 
all of our messages are happy, happy talk. We're the world's greatest solution for fill in the blank. <laughs> you know, I mean, and we don't talk about our competitors. You know, we don't say mean things at all. That's off brand for us. And that's basically a conversation ender from the brand Nazis. And I really suggest that if you want to have value for your marketing solution, you have to create a high contrast between how bad things are now and how good they're going to be after the fact. And so it's just like in the gym, you know, there's that saying, no pain, no gain. Unless you can dig into my pain, I'm not going to value your solution. So the first thing you have to overcome is my mental inertia of doing nothing and not moving off of my comfortable spot. And the only two ways to do that are pain and pleasure. And pain works about twice as effectively. So I, for example, let's say you're selling tooth whitening. Well, most commercials would say, well, you'll have white teeth and a great smile. And I think a better way to sell tooth whitening would be to say, oh, those yellow gray teeth of yours, are you afraid to smile? Do you have resting (laughs) bastard face? Do you have problems (laughs) getting a date? Is your cat going to eat you after you die because no one ever comes to visit? I mean, that you want to rub (laughs) all the salt into the wound, then it's worth it for me to whiten my teeth. Wow. That's it. That was an extreme example. <laughs> I didn't see you going that direction with the white te- uh, teeth whitening. That's amazing. Jen's got, got a kick out of it too. Awesome. Okay. What else? So uh, another thing is that we're highly visual. About half of our brain is there to process visual information in one form or another. But vision is actually an, a very active process. We have about 10 times as many neurons going from the brain to control the movement of the eyes, then coming back and processing that visual information. And so one of the things you have to realize is that motion hijacks attention. I mean, if something's not moving, it's not scary. The reason our brain evolved largely is to react to fast changes in our environment. That's why we need one and plants don't because they don't react to fast changes in their environment. So we need to know which direction that bear is running at and how whether it's going to eat us. So a, a lot of marketers misuse motion, especially on websites. They have video, they have all kinds of social media widgets that go, beep, somebody tweeted about us, beep, here's another one. And, and they're using motion for that. And that's like the, the atomic bomb. So I suggest that you really strip down your motion and only use it to emphasize uh, or create beacons out of the important things you do want me to pay attention to. And to, But don't just decorate with images or with motion. Uh, so when I was running my agency, I, I created what I called the visual hierarchy, which is text, graphics, and motion. And in the presence of the next level, the previous levels get ignored, basically. So no matter how compelling your copy is, if you put pictures next to it, I'm going to look at the pictures. No matter how cool your static pictures are, if there's anything moving, I'm going to be looking at that. And that's going to grab all of my attention. Okay. So let's then relate that to video because there's a Cisco put out a stat that said like by the end of 2022, 82% of all content consumed online is going to be video. How do you, well, what do so you think about con- that? That's a content type. Uh, and, and that's true. Right. Well, that, and that, but that's because we're used to experiencing the world as a 3D movie unfolding linearly, which is video. <laughs> that, that's our visual input is, is video. Right. I mean, I just went to see chapter one of Dune in 3D with, with my daughter. And that's a pretty immersive experience. That's a really cool way of storytelling, as opposed to holding my Kindle or a book in my hand, deciphering little symbols and trying to create mental images out of those. That's a pretty indirect process that involves the easily tired modern part of the brain, the neocortex, the 
the rational part, if you will. That's the only part that has access to language. So do you want something that all animals share, which is a sense of vision and motion in 3D movies? Or do you want to do this really stylized kind of uh, symbolic processing? I can tell you which one's going to be more effective. So yeah, video and images are way more effective than text. Yeah. But then also people like to consume content in different ways too, right? Like that's yes. why when I, I, I talk to my clients about repurposing, like for example, this is a podcast first situation. So for me, mm -hmm. the audio matters more than anything, but we are trying to add dimension to it and walk the walk as marketers and use video also um, as part of it. But then also creating a blog post from the words that were said is also is another thing. And some people like to read. Some people yes, want to yeah. watch it. Some people don't want to hear the sound. Some people will only want to have the captions on. They won't even want to hear us. Yeah, no. So, so you're absolutely right about that. I had a marketing mentor that once told me, people buy the way they buy, not the way you sell. So you have to right. package it up in whatever format they want. No question about that. And I think recycling content and giving them the transcript and the audio and the video versions of it and caption video, those are all different formats. And and that's absolutely um, the right thing to do. And it's not that hard to do. There are a lot of automated tools that will create all that stuff for you these days. Uh, but what I'm talking about is just to, as marketers, we tend to over-decorate. We tend to be experiences that are too Baroque, too visually strong, and we don't consciously control for attention. I think that my standard has always been to kind of have a um, Zen-like stillness on a website out of which the call to action naturally arises. And probably very few of us could describe our websites as having a Zen-like stillness. Right. It's more like a Turkish bazaar where everybody's competing for your attention. <laughs> no, for sure. I actually, it's funny you say that because I just looked at this website yesterday. It's so overloaded with sponsorship images, like everywhere on the sides, on the top, on the bottom, and the, everywhere. And I'm mm -hmm. like, whoa, like there, it's so much so that I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay attention to any of it. Right, exactly. So. It's just information overload and it stresses your your nervous system and you just want to hit the the exit button. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so, I mean, we could do a five-hour show on your book and do things that can help our marketers. However, we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> but I appreciate that. I think everyone got a really good taste for it. And, and trust me when I say it's so stinking interesting. I honestly like I this is not a book I whatever what I just picked up um just because I just don't think like that's the kind of thing I'd like, but it is fascinating and I recommend everyone I'll, I'll of course I'll I'll put a link in the show notes. I um, mean Jen, if you have a second to put timash.com on your or primalbrain.com um in the comments that'd be awesome for anyone who is watching or watching on the replay. So, I do want to know though. What book other than one of your own? Would you recommend a business book? Would you recommend for our readers? Hmm. Well, I think that uh, I'm not sure this is exactly a business book, but it's certainly helpful in business and uh, arguing with your teenage kids as well. Um, Chris Voss used to be the head hostage negotiator for the FBI, and he has this book called Never Split the Difference, and it's about negotiating. And this is stuff that actually works, not some game theory uh, from graduate school that somebody learned or something. Uh, so I really right. got a lot out of that one. Awesome. That is, that's the second time that's, that book's been recommended. So right. obviously 
It's a giddy. Okay, so we know primalbrain.com, timash.com. Those are two, and I, the links are in, in the show notes. Um, and what's like an ideal way for anyone listening to find you? Well, those are both good. Uh, if you're interested in my book, you can actually get a free chapter of your choice. I'll send it to you. So go to primalbrain.com slash book and pick out the chapter that you want, and I'll, and I'll rush it out to you by email as a PDF. Oh, that's cool. And then connect with me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best place. And again, all my social information is on my website. So I look forward to uh, connecting with all of you. Fantastic. Yes. And I'm heading off to IMEX America next week, which is big a trade show and exposition put on in, well, in the fall normally. Um, and last year it was online only. So it'll be really nice to be back in person. And I, so yeah, events are my jam. And so if you're listening to this, if you're one of my event prof friends, also I would consider Tim um, as a keynote for your, for your meetings. Cause we just barely, like barely scratch the surface. <laughs> I think of, of all the things that could be talked about. So thank you very much for being with us. Megan, it's been my pleasure. All right, y'all. This has been episode 93. Thank you for listening on the podcast. And if you're watching on the replay or if you're here with us live, we really appreciate you being with us. We would love it if you would take a second to rate and review us on whatever platform of choice that you where you listen to podcasts because that helps us get heard by more ears. All right, y'all. Thanks so much. Episode 93 of Making a Marketer and we will catch you next time.